She's an American board certified OBGYN. She's the CEO of Jobs.Mom, where women, we're moms, we're Muslims, and we're talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm Dr. Sada Flody. And I'm Zabin Mirza. This episode is about childbirth. Yeah. So before we get into it, the first thing we want to make very clear is that we are not giving any type of medical advice. So if you are having any issues with your health, please seek the advice of your healthcare professional. Yep. And we're also not providing any kind of religious advice. So if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader who is not me and certainly not Sadaf. So it's the Muslim <laughs> Sex Podcast because we just happen to be two Muslim women who talk about sex. And today we're talking about childbirth. So Sadaf, let's yeah. get into it. You survived Definitely. the pregnancy, the constipation, the insomnia, the, the cramps, the everything, the misery, the not fitting, the vomiting. And here you are ready to give birth. Right. And yeah. there's two ways that this baby's coming out. This baby's coming out, but it can come out in one of two ways, right? Either vaginally or via cesarean section. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about what a vaginal delivery actually is? Because I think we would be surprised how many women don't maybe fully understand that. And then what a cesarean section is. Sure, of course. So a vaginal delivery, um, and not to insult the intelligence of any of our listeners by any means. Um, so a vaginal delivery is where the fetus comes out through the vagina. And it happens when um, the cervix is fully dilated. So of course, as everyone will remember, you know, the fetus is lives inside of the uterus. And the opening to the uterus is the cervix. And so when you go into labor or if you're being induced for whatever reason, and Zabine, I think you had mentioned, you know, what exactly is an induction? So when we say that uh, we are going to induce you uh, or your pregnancy, your delivery, that means that we are going to get contractions going. So, you know, two ways that a person, a woman goes into labor, either she goes into it naturally where her body uh, starts to have contractions that are long and strong and close together, or we give medication to help that labor process along. Um, and if we schedule an induction, typically we'll have you go to the hospital, whether it's the night before or in the morning, and we can start medication. Um, a lot of times we'll give either something called Cytotec, which is a medication that goes into the vagina near the cervix, or it can go into the mouth into what we call um, the side of the cheek right here, and uh, it will dissolve. And that uh, medication elicits contractions, or we'll give a medication called Pitocin, or if you go in the night before, we can, um, and if your cervix is kind of long and thick, we'll give a medication called Cervidil, which helps to soften up that cervix. Um, the goal of any of these medications really is to soften up that cervix and get that um, cervix to start to open up. And when your provider goes in and checks your cervix, what they're doing is they will check you digitally with their fingers and they'll go up and feel for the cervix. And there are 
two openings to the cervix. There's the external um, cervical os and the internal. And what we do is we put our finger all the way in and we feel for um, the internal os and we check to see how far dilated you are. Now, um, we start with zero, which is, you know, your cervix is not dilated at all. And it goes to 10 centimeters. And when that cervix is 10 centimeters, that's when the mom is ready to push Sabine. So, um, and that's usually when we will ask her to push only if she's feeling um, pressure. Sometimes, you know, if you have epidurals, and we're going to talk about anesthesia in a little bit, but um, if you get an epidural, an epidural is what we call regional anesthesia. Basically, it numbs a woman from the waist down and the reason why that is, is so that she doesn't feel the pain of the contractions. And then if that epidural is very good, um, then that woman may not have any sensation at all to push and um, may just feel a little bit of pressure. So when a mom doesn't have any you know, urge to push, it becomes very difficult for her to deliver that baby. So sometimes we may cut that epidural in half or turn it off altogether just so that the mom can feel the urge to push. And what she will do is she'll use the muscles in the vagina. Um, and it's the same muscles that, you know, when you're so constipated, you have to push. And that's kind of the way that we tell moms to push is that as if you're going to have like the biggest bowel movement and, um, and then you push. And then we have them try to push with each contraction three times if they can, and really to try to bear down and get that baby delivered. Um, sometimes it takes a while. And so don't feel bad if it takes a while to just get used to the process and just to feel where you need to push because that's all normal. And especially with first time moms or even second time moms, um, it doesn't matter because that, that feeling, uh, once you have it, once you have that urge, you know, you can't stop it. And so you'll know where to push. But in the beginning, if you're not having that urge to push, then it becomes difficult. And also, um, if the woman is completely dilated, but she's not having any urge to push, you know, sometimes we may sit up the mom so that she's kind of like sitting and just to allow that baby's head to come down. And that's what we call laboring down so that you're not pushing the whole time and so that you don't become exhausted while pushing. And that's typically, you know, what we do and how that baby comes out. Now, sometimes, you know, if for some reason you need a little bit of help, it could be because the mom is exhausted from the labor process and is not able to push, or if the fetus's heart tones are starting to drop or something like that, I mean, we can use either forceps or um, a vacuum on the baby's head. And that's only to help the mom along because, you know, she may be exhausted and may not be able to push. Or like I said, you know, the heart tones are going down and we need to expedite delivery for that uh, infant. Um, sometimes though, what can happen is that the mom is pushing and that head doesn't really make its way into the pelvis very well. 
And, uh, you know, we typically allow moms to push if they don't have an epidural uh, up to three hours, you know, two to three hours, depending on whatever the provider, if the provider thinks it's safe for the mom to continue pushing or that mom can push uh, with an epidural, she could push, you know, three hours or even up to four hours. But again, that's, you know, depending on if the mom is doing okay, if the baby's doing okay, if the heart tones are okay, you know, if there's no other complication going on. So, you know, I reserve that, for the provider to make that decision of how long to allow mom to push. Um, and if, you know, that head doesn't come down into the pelvis, then sometimes the being, you know, patients will need a cesarean section at that point. And remember, there's, there's no shame in getting a C-section, you know, like I tell patients all the time, you know, some patients will say, oh, I don't want an epidural because, you know, that makes it seem like I'm weak and I can't tolerate the, you know, pain of labor. And I tell them that, Nobody gives you a ribbon, right? Nobody's giving you a trophy at the end of this labor. I mean, if you need some medication for pain, take it, you know, take that epidural, take that medication through the IV. It doesn't matter. You're, you're not failing at anything. You know, it's, it's really what is helpful for you to progress during labor. It's what feels good to you and is comfortable for you. Um, some women that don't have any medications in labor, you know, will decide that they want to squat when they push or, you know, they'll be definitely more mobile. You know, patients that get epidurals are not able to move around as much. And some women that I've delivered women that um, have squatted the whole time while they were pushing, you know, because that's what they felt was comfortable. Some women will push on their sides. So it's really whatever feels best to you. And if you need an epidural, if you need medication, you know, during labor and delivery, that's all the better for you. You know, whatever makes it easiest because labor is a hard process and it's a huge workout. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't ever tell women not to do something, you know, for example, not to get an epidural or something like that. I think it's so important for them to feel comfortable and to be able to tolerate the labor process because it is very difficult. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these anesthesia options, right? Whether you're you're delivering vaginally, whether it's C-section, you know, there's a number of things that are available to women. You know, take us through some of the the, the anesthesia options we have. Sure, of course. So, you know, if a woman is laboring, um, she may not want to have an epidural so she can get some medication through the IV. That medication can is typically a narcotic. And that medication will just take the edge off, but it will not get rid of all the pain. So that women, typically what happens is that women will kind of get high off the medication just to take that edge off, not because they're trying to get high, but that's what the medication does, that narcotic, you know, it makes them feel high, I should say. Um, but I just, I personally, um, you know, we'll ask the women if they, if they want that. I mean, some women are just really opposed to getting anything placed in, you know, in their back, which is fine. Um, but for others, I, I really think that the epidural, to be honest, Zabina is really the way to go because it takes away the pain completely. And what it does though, is it numbs you from the waist down. So they will still continue to feel the pressure of the contraction, but they won't have that pain of the contraction. Um, so I, I myself, had two epidurals and um, and I ended up having actually three C-sections. So, you know, I tried to have um, a normal birth after my first C-section and it didn't work. 
But um, so I did end up having three C-sections and uh, the recovery. And I know we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, later, but recovery after C-sections definitely is more difficult because it's a major abdominal surgery, right? And it's hard to bend over um, and you have to really manage that pain. Whereas after a vaginal delivery, it may be uncomfortable, but it's at least you don't have that abdominal incision that goes all the way across your belly. And, um, and it's definitely easier to take care of an infant when you don't have an ab abdominal incision. Yeah. Um, and lastly, sometimes if you have an emergency C-section um, where they're not able to place uh, medication into your back, whether it's epidural or a spinal, then um, you may have to have a general anesthesia, which we like to try to avoid. But um, if it's a true, true emergency, then a woman, mm -hmm. a woman may end up having um, a general anesthesia. And I think also, you know, it's, it's, you know, you, you mentioned some really important points, like obviously the recovery times are different, um, but, you know, there can also be difficult recoveries post-vaginal birth, right? Um, yeah. And, yes. and I think it's also, there's, you know, for some reason, and maybe social media has perpetuated this, but for some reason, you know, women have taken it on as kind of a failing if they need a cesarean, right? Um, and it's not a failing. It's it's an incredibly dangerous and difficult thing that you have gone through to bring your child into the world. And I think success is really measured by a healthy outcome for mom and for baby. And so um, whatever recovery, you're there to recover, right? And you have a healthy baby. And I think that's something that we should not lose sight of. Um, but speaking of recovery, talk to us a little bit about now that we're, we, we've birthed the child, right? <laughs> I mean, I think I've always thought the recovery was always so much worse than everything and anything else, the labor and the cesarean. Talk to us a little bit about what we can expect postpartum, um, those first few days that we're in the hospital, when we go home, what are we looking at? Sure, sure, of course. So, you know, I think um, also just to kind of touch upon what you were saying about a C-section, C-section is definitely major abdominal surgery. Um, it is, you know, utmost care is taken by your obstetrician gynecologist to create a safe environment for both the mom and, um, you know, and her experience. So it is, you know, I guess you could say it is quote unquote dangerous, but it's, you know, we make it so that it's definitely safe and you have anesthesia there and you have the surgeons that are very experienced. So definitely it is a, you know, a safe procedure. Um, and we always go over the risks and benefits for a cesarean section. In terms of recovery, so, you know, definitely the stay in the hospital is longer for a C-section. Typically, after a vaginal delivery, you'll stay one to two days. And like Zabine said, you know, sometimes vaginal deliveries can be just as difficult as C-sections, especially if you have like, say, like a third or fourth degree laceration um, in your vagina, you know, that recovery can definitely be painful. And, um, you know, you'll need some stool softeners and some pain medication for that. But after a C-section, you know, typically you may have... Um, a Foley catheter to help empty out that bladder that first day or even like 12 hours after the procedure. And then they'll typically take that out. Um, you know, we'll have you get up and moving right away. Well, um, you know, we don't, especially after major abdominal surgery, we don't encourage that you 
you know, lie in bed for like 24 hours or 48 hours, uh, but that you get up and move because if you, you know, don't get up and move, you're at risk for developing blood clots. Um, and we definitely don't want that. Um, also stay on top of your pain when you have a C-section, you know, if you need to take Motrin or, you know, a narcotic like Percocet or something like that, definitely take it when you need it. You know, I, I wouldn't uh, let that pain get out of hand because then it becomes very difficult to manage. And also, you know, you're also trying to take care of a little baby who has, you know, their own needs. So I think that just being very aware um, of what your needs are and don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, I think that's one of the most important things that new moms experience. You know, they have this guilt that they need to take care of the baby 24 seven. And if they don't, then, you know, they're not a good mom or if they're not able to breastfeed, then they're not a good mom. You know, I'll tell you that I myself breastfed for a little bit, but then mostly bottle fed all three of my boys and they're, you know, they're fine. So I, I don't think that, you know, it's, it's great. It's fantastic if you're able to breastfeed. Um, and it helps with the immunity that the baby gets, um, you know, in the first six months, it's so, so important. And if you're able to breastfeed, or even if you are able to pump and then give that baby that bottle, um, that milk, you know, it's fantastic for the infant. But if for some reason you're not able to, or you don't want to, it's, it's okay too. So I don't think that there should be any shame in that. Um, but, you know, really it's also important. And, you know, Sabine, I, I talk about this a little bit and I, I do want to mention it, that it's so important for the mom to take care of her mental health. And, you know, this is not focused at all in any of our, you know, visits, what prenatally and, you know, postpartum as OBs, we don't do a very good job of checking up on the mental health of our moms. And, um, you know, I don't know if our listeners know this, but suicide is one of the biggest complications postpartum. So it's so, so important that, you know, if you're experiencing, you know, baby blues, you know, that that's okay to ask for help. You know, contact your provider, contact a therapist, contact your friends, your family. You know, we hear about these stories too often, too late. And it's so important for women to seek out help. And if you notice that you're having sadness or withdrawal or, you know, ideas of suicide or harming, you know, the baby or, you know, sometimes women can have psychosis, uh, Zabine, where they start to hallucinate and all of those things, if they start to experience psychosis, they need immediate hospitalization. Um, and so these are all just things to be aware of. And, you know, if it's okay to experience baby blues, but remember baby blues don't typically last past 14 days. Yeah. If you start to experience sadness, that's debilitating that you're not able to get up and move around or, you know, you're not eating and thoughts of harm to yourself or the baby. It's so important to seek help. Really. I can't emphasize that enough just because we hear the stories and then, you know, we think about it and it's, it's too late then. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm so glad that you have recognized that here and brought it up because, you know, I suffered with quite bad postpartum depression um, with my first and also uh, quite bad postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety with my third. And, you know, my third, as you know, Sadaf and, you know, all of you listening, you know, was a pandemic baby. And I had him at the height of the pandemic. Uh, in July of 2020, I had COVID when I was pregnant before we even knew what COVID was here. 
um, before the shutdown. And um, it was really traumatic, right? And um, even though I had it with my first and I had it with my third, you would think, oh, three, you know, three kids later, this is something that you can just deal with. But there is so much, it's such a strange mental space to be in because you feel like, okay, I should be happy that I have this baby, but I'm miserable. I don't feel close to it. I actually maybe hate it and resent it. Um, I feel unwell. I haven't slept showered, peed, eaten in God knows how many days. And you you find that you are floating through a fog, right? It's like you're floating through a fog. And the reason that I mentioned this is because some of it is normal. But as Salaf mentioned, if it's persisting past 14 days, or even if it's before 14 days, but it's debilitating, right? There's, it's, not, there's, it's not that there is something wrong with you. It's it's a physical condition, hormones and the trauma of what you've gone through. It's a medical condition and you need to get help for it. There is no shame in it. And, you know, also people saying things to you like you need to just take a walk and go outside is wholly unhelpful and useless advice. What you need is professional help and you need medication and you need support and you need to ask for help and you're only going to get it if you ask for help. And so if we talked about this before, we have to be as moms and as women advocates for our own mental and physical health. And so there's been so many studies that even doctors discount women's complaints because, you know, when women are complaining about a pain in something, they, they'll discount it because they believe it's made up or it's not that big of a deal, right? Um, it is a big of a deal and only you get to decide how big or small of a deal is. And if it's a big deal for you, that's all that matters. Seek help. Um, and as Sadaf mentioned, we don't want to hear about things when it's too late, when you could have gotten help and you should be getting help and you deserve help uh, much earlier on. Um, and Sadaf, um, I'm sure patients can go to their OBs who can also support them and provide them with resources for other uh, medical providers that could provide them help postpartum. How does that look? Absolutely. So Zabine, you know, um, to me, actually, I think it's unfortunate that OBs only see the patient six weeks postpartum and we only see them two weeks postpartum if they've had a C-section. But really, if you need help, you know, I would go see your OB provider uh, sooner than later. But at six weeks, we do do the Edinburgh, uh depression scale. And from that, you know, we get a number and then if it's really high, we'll refer you to a therapist or a psychiatrist. But I really feel that, you know, as OBs, we need to change our practice and start following up with patients much sooner than six weeks to check up on their mental health. And, you know, studies, multiple studies have shown that if, if a provider even just calls a patient just to see how they're doing, right? Yeah. Provides no other service except just to say, hey, how are you doing? That increases their mood significantly, even without any type of service. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it behooves us as OBGYNs and as, you know, obstetric providers, whether even if, you know, if you're a midwife or um, whatever, I think that it's so important to always check up on the mental health of our postpartum patients, because that's where, you know, they slip through the cracks. And, um, you know, because we're so busy as OBGYNs, 
we're not able to really take the time to find out, you know, how a patient's mental health is uh, is going and how they're feeling postpartum. Yeah. 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 And I think mental health is, is a topic, um, in and of itself. Right. And, and also, um, something that women pregnant or not newly postpartum or not, we neglect, um, quite, quite, we, we neglect it quite badly actually to the point where many of us have never practiced any kind of self self care or, uh, you know, any kind of, um, mental health checks on our own selves. Um, and, you know, certainly postpartum, those things are exacerbated by the physical trauma, the exhaustion, the hormones, right? Um, and so please, again, you know, we cannot stress this enough, you know, taking a walk and watching TV is great, getting out of bed and taking a shower is great, but it's not going to fix the chemical or hormonal imbalances in your body. Only, you know, medical intervention, um, medication, support therapy, and professionals can support you in that. And please, please, please uh, seek that help. Uh, so, if any last words before we wrap up for here today? No, but I think, Zabine, you may have an announcement for our listeners. Yes. Uh, this is my last episode with Sadaf for the Muslim Sex Podcast, as she will be transitioning. Um, she will be taking on uh, the podcast and continuing to share with you guys um, all her great insights, all her great experiences. Um, we're going to be moving forward. She's going to be talking about everything that we talked about around mental health. She's going to be talking about miscarriages. She's going to be talking about um, so many really great and important topics as it pertains um, to women's health, um, from menopause and diets and sterilization and vasectomies and you know abortion. So please keep following Sadaf, keep following the Muslim Sex Podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure to be on this journey with you all. I hope you've derived great value from this. And I know that you will continue to derive great value from Sadaf. You can continue to follow her. You can continue to follow me. And please do continue to follow the Muslim Sex Podcast. Yeah, Sabine, it's been real. But thank you, Sabine. I want to thank you for this important initiative that you and I started. I think that it's been fantastic working together. And I think that your input and your insight has been very valuable to this podcast. So thank you so much for all that you've done. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I think all of us can appreciate the service that you're providing, Sadaf, because, again, these are topics that have previously and historically been so taboo. Um, and it's so great that you are continuing to shed light on these issues. And to everybody that's listening, please really listen to these 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 things that Sadaf is telling you, these, these conversations that we're having. Have them with your friends. Spread this information. Spread this knowledge. And really... Um, advocate for yourself. Thank you, Zabine. And, um, and remember, this is not meant to be medical advice. So if you're having any questions about your pregnancy, your delivery, or anything at all, please seek the advice of your own healthcare provider. Yep. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Yeah.